My name is Lucas Ribeiro Julian. I am the DNV Regional Manager for West Europe. And I will be moderating this panel and uh, with a very important voice for the shipping Germany industry. So today we have heard already a lot. Probably they will just complement some of the topics. I think most of the topics has been touched upon already. But it, I'm looking forward to hear from them. They are, they are opinion, reflection on the tops that we will come together. So before I started, I would like all the panelists to brief introduce themselves with the names and the company and the function. Welcome. Hello. Lucius, if you please can introduce yourself. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is uh, Lucius uh, Bank. I uh, started a company called Auerbach Shipping uh, 12 years ago. We focus um, exclusively on the MPP heavy lift sector uh, and have uh, decided um, three, four years ago uh, to venture into the startup scene a little bit more as well. Uh, so that will be um, following the interesting panel just now, also something that I guess we will uh, address later on this panel. Thank you. Mark? I'm jumping. Um, yes, good afternoon to the you survivors. Uh, Mark O'Neill, CEO of Scholar Holdings and CEO of the Columbia Group. Thank you. Nils? Uh, Nils Aden, I'm... Uh with the kind of Haran partner, what is the kind of name that it used to have? Uh, that's probably what most of you know. Haran Group since May this year. I'm the MD of the group and uh, specifically responsible for ship management. I've been in ship management for the last couple of years with Ia Schiffert before. And actually the nice thing is that I joined my shipping life going back 20 years plus a little bit uh, in Haran where kind of it all started for me. So good to be back. Good to be here. Very happy to uh, have a good discussion here today. Thank you, Kurt. Um, yeah, hi, Kurt Clemmy, um, Red Ryan Nord in Hamburg. I'm the managing director, CEO there. Thank you. Jan? Okay, so you have to be careful here, and you have to be awake because you're jumping the line. <laughs> um, yeah, Jan Laskosa, I'm the managing director of um, Hartmann German entities, basically all ship management and ship owning. Uh, gas carriers, containers, especially these days, um, and anything else except for cruise ships and inland-going vessels. Thank you. Rovil? Yeah, my name is Rovil Ponta, um, founder and managing director, co-founder, managing director of Nordic Hamburg. We are a diversified uh, ship management, um, ship investor-oriented uh, company, group of companies. Thank you. Thank you. So, without further ado, I will just start throwing the first question to the panelists. And uh, it was lots of uh, challenge and uh, complexity mentioned today. So, what is, in your opinion, in the top 10 list of the to-do list of the German shipping owning companies? And what is the challenge moving forward? News, could you please start? Um, that Top 10 is a long topic. Um, I, I, there's, a, there's a watch going backwards, so I'm not sure if that will work well. Um, so I'll probably just describe a few things that I see. I think 
Um, what makes sense is to zoom out a bit um, and, and kind of to not mix up the kind of daily noise on the desks, which the, those items that are kind of really are of, of importance um, to the, maybe not only German ship owners, but in general to, to shipping. So um, I, I kind of see two groups. One is a little bit more operational. So tasks like around the ETS, get ready for it, be really well prepared um, and, and uh, be set up for, for that. That's probably one of the more operational hot topics at the moment. The other one, I would say also more operationally, slightly mid-term is to be ready for the winter, which could in some segments be longer than March, I guess. So we see some downturn in some markets and then when uh, um, you get used so quickly to nice markets, which we enjoyed also much over the last two to three years, but that's kind of changing in some areas. So get ready for that as well. This is probably one of the more operational hot topics, I would say, in the top 10. Um, and then there's more the slightly strategic ones, um, which can sometimes get out of sight when being too busy with the operational ones, and that's the geopolitical um, stage, where I would say, uh, make up your mind what really your strategy is, not just short term, not just next summer, but really longer term, where do you want to be positioned? And um, in the previous panel, we talked about the D, I would say the C, so make sure that what's, what's really the, the benefit or the, the value you can add to clients. Uh, and I think that's probably the topic that we sh need to review ourselves on. Um, and I, I would say that's definitely probably one of the top three. We need Very to be constantly reviewing positions and strategies. So it's, it's a mix of operational and strategy. Uh, strategy. Thank you. Thank you. Very interesting. Especially with the client value that you have added to this, all this that was mentioned before. Mark, any mm. reflection on that? Yeah, I think we, we probably take a more macro than a micro view. Um, I think uh, we're in shipping and we never know what storms are going to hit us. So top of uh, our list is ensure resilience, uh, and that's financial resilience, operational uh, resilience, and people resilience. Um, secondly, uh, ensure awareness, that's uh, the, the geopolitical awareness, the, the world seems to be getting ever more complex and uh, only yesterday I was called by a client saying how does this affect you and don't know yet, um, situation in, in, in Israel, but also awareness on the tech side. Uh, on the alternative fuel side, on the IT side, some of these great new ideas, uh, which is why we've started uh, Galactic Beacon uh, to capture some of that energy and some of that uh, foresight and, and incorporate into our, into our operational mode. Thirdly, reduce exposure. Um, reduce exposure to the tech side, uh, to the people, to the alternative fuels, and make sure we're on the front edge of that wave of change that seems to be hitting us uh, from uh, all directions. Fourthly, remain client-facing. Um, you know, I, I think we, 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 all of us run businesses and we have to be client-facing. And what does the client, what do the clients want? Never mind what we want and what we think is relevant. What does the market think is relevant? And I think sometimes we... we all of us tend to forget that when we're very introspective to our own businesses and our own uh, sector. Uh, and lastly, optimize everything. You know, optimize everything. The, the processes that we have in our offices, the, the technologies that we use, uh, the vessels that, 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 we, uh, that we operate. And finally, have fun. 
You know, I think we're a, we're a wonderfully eclectic industry. Um, we're successful because we, we have the, that dynamism that some industrial sectors fail to have. I think having fun is really, really important as well. So if we keep that enthusiasm, if we keep that positivity, if we have fun, then we can take on pretty much everything. Thank you very much, Mark. Roville, any reflection? Yeah, I think a lot, a lot was said. Um, it's uh, pretty much, uh, since we are in the same industry, uh, covering, covering uh, the stuff we have to do. Uh, but back to your original question, what's on the to-do list? Uh, when, I, when I boil it down to what's really on our to-do list in a company like ours, where we make investment decisions, where we, have, where we are managing assets, um, I think one thing hasn't changed. We still have to find uh, op business opportunities. Uh, that is a task uh, that is uh, definitely top on our to-do list, uh, finding business opportunities, and uh, that hasn't changed, and it doesn't change in any environment. Um, the task remains the same. Um, definitely on our to-do list, uh, all the things that Mark mentioned um, and also um, Lucius mentioned before, uh, we have to be on top of managing the assets with all the new requirements that are coming in, regulation coming in, technology changes, and so on and so forth. Um, that's on the to-do list. Uh, challenges, I think, were also mentioned. Um, nothing really to add. Uh, geopolitical regulation, uh, uh, going to carbon zero, uh, yeah, um, well, people were also mentioned, uh, I think, on previous panels, uh, I think that uh, having qualified staff on board ships and in the office is a, is a definite challenge for our industry now and going forward. Yeah, that would be on my top list of uh, things. Thank you very much, Ravil. Kurt? Yeah, I came, come more from a traditional ship owner view, therefore um, my statement would be a bit shorter. But before I start, uh, Mark, do you have to monitor the tech side or tech side? I didn't get that. <laughs> Both. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought in Cyprus you don't have the issue. <laughs> now, um, as a traditional ship owner, of course, we only look at those who survived, and many didn't, the last 12 years of this container crisis. I mean, the German ship industry has shrank by about two-thirds of the owners disappeared. And those who survived, um, made a fortune like in the 1980s. Old people told me those who went through that thereafter we could print money. And the traditional owners are pretty comfortable. They're sold, fixed long, and sitting on a big cash book even after they repaid our loans because now the high interest is, is, is not, not making attractive keeping the cash. They're sitting on a cash book and say, how do we gonna invest? And um, we see that the asset prices are very high, inflated, I don't know. We see new bling prices on the container and especially on the bulk, bulk and tanker side are by far too high comparing to the historical time shutter equivalent and to the current shutter book. The question there is the inflation jump, is it like in the 1980s? So if you ordered a Panamax biker in 1980, it was about $12 million. When you ordered it in 1990, it was about $22 million. So there was an inflation adjustment, it's the same like the Volkswagen Golf went from 15,000 Deutschmark to 20,000 Deutschmark. So do we have an inflation jump that these new prices, 35 million for a Kamsamax bike carrier, is the new norm and the time charter rates will follow that? Or will there be a correction again? Will the Chinese banks be willing to give refundment guarantees to the shipyards and allow them to build below cost? 
So most of the owners sitting on the cash and can't really invest because they don't know. They actually have to wait maybe five years to see if the inflation scenario becomes true or not. But then the fleet is aging. We have just been this morning together, been with a liner, container line operator who does a lot of cabotage business, and they say our ships are 30 years old, so how long do we want to wait? You know, but if we order a new 800TU vessel, it costs 40 million with the new technology. So that's the biggest, biggest uh, challenge, and the risk is that the fleet will overage, and then there won't, won't be enough ships again who com com don't comply with technology. Already in the container feeder segment, we see negative growth. The fleet is shrinking over the next five years, even though all these container liner com companies are much wider than us as a Trump owner and have ordered this big amount of big container ships. So that's the biggest question, the biggest challenge we have. Next to the question then, what kind of technology do you want to invest? It's not, nobody has a technical solution yet. We know it all, but the problem is the regulator who enforces on us new regulations. If you see that 1st of January 2025, in EU waters you need 2% sustainable fuel in your bunker burned in the EU. 2050, you need 80%. I don't know how we're going to make it. There's no technical solution for it. So that's, I think, from a traditional ship owner point who has a little bit of money over, that's the biggest challenge right now. Yes, and definitely is not an easy one to tackle. Definitely. <laughs> All this. But the focus in one of the challenges moving forward, that is the availability of uh, carbon neutral fuel. Um, do you think that the sh maritime shipping industry will be able to lead the choice of fuel, or will be left to chase this bigger industry of consumers? And uh, Rovio, can we start with you? Yeah, um, uh, very good question. Um, globally, there's definitely, given the plans that uh, the world has uh, to reduce uh, the carbon footprint, there's not enough carbon neutral fuel around. So um, when we go by history, then I must say track record of shipping in um, getting good fuel is not good because what have we burned the last uh, so and so many years? Heavy fuel, which is basically the rubbish of the oil industry. So we were basically the dump yard. Um, going forward, uh, yeah, one would hope this is not the case again, uh, that we are ending up in uh, shipping being the last industry that uh, can do something towards being carbon neutral. Um, I must say I'm a little bit more optimistic this time that uh, with some more stringent regulation um, of which we are see seeing bits and pieces uh, in the industry now, which is, uh, I would say in this respect, uh, um, giving us some hope uh, that this time we will be able to, um, to use uh, fuels which are more expensive, which uh, are maybe carbon neutral at some point in time, uh, because in the end we follow regulation. If our regulation in the industry requires this, uh, supports this, if EU ETS makes it financially attractive, uh, yes, we will be able to secure these fuels once they are technically available, which is another topic. But uh, yeah, my answer to that question, uh, we will use the right fuels in this industry if we have the right regulation. Thank you very much. Jan, do you agree with the Rabiel? To a certain extent, yes, but to another extent, not so much, to be honest. So the question, I mean, 
will we be able to lead the choice of fuels? A quick answer is no, I don't think so. Um, we had this earlier on the panels as well. So what, what I'm concerned about is on, on the overall macro level at this point. The least common denominator we have as an, as an, as a, as an industry, as a world, uh, in all the different aspects of living is uh, we want to get greener, we want to decarbonize, uh, we want to make uh, the, the, the place worth living going forward. So the smallest or common denominator for this is greener or green energy. So we know already today then even whatever we can achieve in building up green energy production from solar, from wind, from um, water energy, from water energy sourcing uh, will not be enough to cover everything that we want to decarbonize. So my question rather is um, the amount available for green power, is that being put in the right perspective where we want to deploy it today, let's say in the next 10 years, we know we have X amount of megawatt hours of green power. We do um, Z amount of, of uh, green fuels. Is that rightly deployed in shipping? So I rather come from the view, we have regulations, we have um, politicians which ask us to do things. I fully agree with that. And I think we all should do the bits and pieces which we can. But at the end of the day, I'm missing someone who's sitting there and saying, okay, where can we deploy the amount of green energy that we can produce the most effective today? So is this shipping? We had this question earlier in one of the panels, and this is what I totally agree to. So um, why don't we use the scarce source of green power today and deploy this in those industries and in those segments where we have the biggest effect on, on the climate at this point in time? Yes, it's a bit of asking, okay, leave shipping out for the time being or for a certain period of time, etc. But I think this is the smallest or the, the, the most effective way of um, um, or using the scarce source of green, uh, green energy. Um, nobody's asking this question. Otherwise, we have the choice, okay, will we find a fuel um, which nobody, ends, nobody else wants to use, like in the past, and this is what I agree, so we take the rubbish from the oil industry and burn this because nobody else could use it or you can tie your streets with it. Highly unlikely because this will most likely also not be green fuel. So, and then um, if we have to fight for the green fuels which are available or which are really green, then this will be a fight for, for money. So who will be able to pay the highest price? And I'm concerned that shipping is not the industry who is able to pay the higher price than chemical industry or cement industry or the automotive industry who also need the same amount of green energy. Yeah, and also the maritime industry has a very large portfolio of type of fuel that they can use and the other sectors are very easy to, to serve. Mark, do you have any reflection? Yeah, I, I'm, my answer is not a hope in hell. Um, <laughs> there's not a hope in hell that we will lead the choice of fuels. Uh, I think anybody uh, with any um, knowledge of uh, infrastructure and uh, alternative fuels knows full well that we simply will not have the infrastructure available anyway uh, within the deadlines for wider industrial sectors, let alone shipping. And shipping, shipping contributes 2% of the emissions. Power stations contribute 73% of the emissions. So I, I fully agree uh, with what Lars said. Uh, much better to dedicate 
uh, those alternative fuels, those green alternative fuels to the power stations. And then you might just find that you've already achieved your global sustainability levels. Don't forget, a certain amount of carbon emissions are needed on this planet. And, and, I, and I don't think the, the whole environmental debate, uh, the sustainability debate is mature enough to have these sort to make these sort of decisions if we can supply our power stations with green fuels and we take out 73% of the emissions have we actually achieved a sustainable level that's a question that's just not being asked there's everyone is rushing for zero emissions which is not sustainable necessarily um, so I, I don't think there's a hope in hell of shipping getting hold of these alternative uh, fuels. There won't be the infrastructure available. Yes, we have to invest a certain amount uh, in the possibility and for the future because we do have to renew our fleet. But I think the answers will come from different, uh, from different sectors that uh, uh, are much more uh, at, at the coalface. For instance, the automobile uh, sector. The automobile sector is usually looking at battery uh, and it's also use, looking at carbon capture. And carbon capture seems to be uh, a, a much more viable solution for us in the short to medium term. Um, but will we actually get our hands on uh, on these green alternative fuels, we certainly we certainly won't be leading that uh, that charge. No. Thank you very much, Mark. Now we move to another challenge that was mentioned here, that is uh, the digitalization. The digitalization continues to change the world, and uh, German has been for known as the home for innovation for a very long time. This at the moment. German leading the innovation on the maritime industry for the digitalization process. Lucius, I start with you. Sure. Um, well, uh, I would say the shipping industry has uh, come to the table um, a little late, but it certainly picked up speed uh, quite a lot over recent years, and we have just um, heard uh, the previous panel um, uh, with uh, quite a lot of activity within this German uh, sector as well. Um, VC activity uh, backed by um, uh, German corporations, um, but also a lot of startups, a vibrant scene that has evolved um, over the course of the last three to five years. I think while the decade, uh, 2010, 2020, most shipping companies uh, were very preoccupied with survival, um, now we're in a position to actually use the funds um, to drive innovation, to look at alternatives. Um, and I think that's something where a lot of activity has uh, been ignited uh, recently. Um, are we making the most of digital tools available? Certainly not. Um, I would say at the moment, uh, the key challenge is that a lot of people are looking at it and thinking, yeah, um, there is potential in it and efficiency gains to um, be reached, uh, but there's a, a wide gap between the willingness to uh, think about uh, adopting change and to actually implement it. 
Um, and uh, I would feel that that's something that we as an industry can still improve on uh, to use those funds that have been earned over the last two, three years to actually make a real move, uh, try to collaborate uh, with uh, the numerous startups uh, that are out there and have uh, interesting um, ideas. And uh, if it's not the green fuel that we will have available, as uh, Mark O'Neill just put, then uh, at least on the efficiency side, there's still quite a lot to be gained. Um, not only by uh, measures of retrofits, but also through uh, adopting um, uh, efficiency uh, digitize, digitization models. Thank you, Lucius. News, anything to add? Um, yeah, I think, <clears throat> first of all, it's, it's a little bit tricky to, to benchmark for kind of local areas, like kind of say in Germany, right? Because if you benchmark Germany on the digitalization journey, I think we are within shipping, probably not so bad. We are not kind of the best, but we are probably, we are not Singapore really, but we are probably not Tel Aviv, but we are, we are probably, we are, we are not bad. We are probably somewhere halfway, I would say, maybe at the 60% um, level, roughly. But does that give comfort? No. I, I would absolutely not say so. We are, we are, as just mentioned, I mean, we are pretty late to the game. Um, maybe especially the, the mid-size or smaller companies compared to the liner companies that have been kind of moving on this much, much earlier. I think we have to catch up. We have to be really um, focused on this going forward. And the, also in the previous panel, we, we heard about that kind of the, the, the difficulty sometimes to get it implemented, right? Because there's a willingness in, in many management organizations, I can confirm that. Um, but it's not always easy to get it implemented. I sometimes get the, re, the red kind of stop sign from departments and say it's enough, not another trial. But what I really like, and, and that's kind of happening over the last couple of years, it kind of accelerated, and it's good to see kind of the previous panel also to have various supporting organizations to, to facilitate startups, is that what, what we can do is really offer our ships, our organization, our, our, our know-how, our experience as a, as a trial partner and, and as a platform for, for startups to, to try out, is their solution really a good solution? Does it work? Does it work for us? Is, is, is it actually a solution to something or is it just a nice idea which no one really needs? And, and I think we are, we are getting better at this, but we, we need to be careful not to kind of be too proud of what we've already achieved. I think we're just at the very beginning. And uh, after we just installed Starling on, on, on our ships, uh, on some of our ships, we, I mean, it, it's, it's very great for the crews, they love it. But in fact, it's not about being even closer to your families. It's, it's kind of opening up a completely, a completely new chapter of digitalization going forward. And it gives you a little bit of a feeling of what the voyage and the speed of the voyage might be. And that brings me back to my point where I say, we are, we are just at the beginning and we need to be um, really, really sharp on this. And maybe, maybe one last point, um, because I, I really, um, I, I like this topic because we, we see a lot of good ideas coming in, really. It's, uh, the point that I just see is the more, um, the more kind of smaller focused startups we see, the more fragmented the whole thing gets. And uh, if, if I can just kind of, if there's any startups out here, I know at least there's some people that can support that, is that we, we, we need them to think in a connected way, right? We need the interface between it because if we just have a super fragmented uh, collection of startups, it's not really, it's solving individual problems, but it's not solving our overall problems that we need to kind of solve to deliver to our clients, right? So we need this interface thinking. Um, and that's something which I, which I worry a bit about, that, that it could, have slowed down, could slow us down again. But generally, I'm, I'm, I'm positive, but 
it's um, it's a long way, but it's an interesting way. So let's uh, let's Thank be supportive. Thank you, Nils. Very good reflection. And Rovio, I see that you are nodding. Do you agree with the? Yeah. Well, uh, on uh, digitalization, I think. Uh, I'm not sure I would even agree with 60%. Uh, I think if you compare Germany compared to other nations, we are doing relatively well. Uh, as an industry towards other industries, uh, boy, yeah, um, there are other industries which are more digitalized. Um, there's there's uh, a lot of room, and uh, we can see the efficiencies we can, we can potentially gain by digitalization. The issue is, um, boy, getting, uh, getting it done. Um, getting things affected in the organization, get it, getting things affected on board of the ships. Um, that is partly uh, a longer way. And uh, I fully agree. I think one reflection of Niels was very, uh, very good, very interesting. We are seeing this, that we have, we have solutions, a good solution here, a good solution there, but uh, to connect the whole thing is... Uh, is also a big challenge. In the end, we, we have uh, business processes. Um, complete business processes. So, yeah, um, there are um, lots of good signs, good initiatives, um, and a lot of work to implement it on this digital front. Uh, as an industry, um, yeah, we, uh, we have uh, room, uh, room to grow in that segment. Can I, can I just add something? Um, I don't think as an industry we should benchmark success by how much we've digitalized it. Um, you only need to digitalize what needs to be digitalized and what makes it better by virtue of digitalization. But digitalization is not our end goal. What our end goal is, is, is optimizing the processes which then need to be digitalized. And, and we looked at this uh, a few years back with Lufthansa and uh, you know, part of the digitalization process is looking at how you do things, doing them better, and then digitalizing that. There's no point digitalizing bad processes because you just end up with more sophisticated bad processes. Um, <laughs> when you compare the shipping industry to the aircraft industry, the aircraft industry, fl planes fly on absolutely precise lines around this globe. Uh, if, if we could achieve anything like that in the maritime space, we would radically improve uh, the, the sector as a whole and we would optimize what we do. That doesn't, that doesn't relate to digitalization. Digitalization is, is just the tools uh, to get there. It's the processes that are the most important. Thank you. Very good reflection for the, the team, the panel that was here before. I think it's some homework to do. Uh, now we will touch another subject that is the heart of the, the shipping company, that is the seafarers. We have been talked already in the previous panels how hard it is nowadays to get attract uh, the new generations and also how difficult it is to train them and to get them up to skill. If we consider the new technologies that will come, it will be even harder for that. Knut mentioned that uh, it's not about 300,000, but it will be about 750 that we need to go for the new technologies. So, may I have a reflection? Start with Kurt, please. Um, yeah, my, when I started in shipping, we had a lot of English and German masters and engineers, and of course they all went into pension and disappeared. And then Eastern Europe saved us, the German shipping industry, over the last 20 years. But now Eastern Europe is also drying out. The young people there don't want to go to sea anymore. And we have done everything possible, 
always reacted, shortened the contracts, paid more. Each of them got an own cabin. So I think uh, what we have to learn a bit from that, and ship owners tend to be a bit too much on the cost side when it comes to crew, especially the ship managers, because they're pushed by the investors, the owners. Um, the new resource is Asia, no doubt. It's India, Sri Lanka, China a bit. Most of the Chinese officers, then when you train them, they disappear in the Chinese system because also the Chinese companies need them. Indonesia, these companies, these countries, this is the future for us. And this time when we go in, and where they're going in already, we have to be a bit more generous maybe with the seafarers from the start. Not like we did with the Eastern Europeans, give a little bit, give a little bit until they run away and give a little bit to keep them back. So we have to need shorter contracts and they need their own cabin and their own bathroom and they need good pay and punctual pay. And when we tell them you stay on board for four months, after four months and one day they should be going home. Don't try to keep them on board for five year, five months. So the social dumping that we have a bit in the industry, especially ship management industry, that's not you Jugend's personally, this has to disappear. Thank you very much, Kurt. Mark. Yeah, um, I, I think uh, how do we ensure that our seafarers have the skills? Uh, like all of us, uh, lifelong learning. We have to give them the ability to continue that learning process and, and we're looking at various e-learning platforms, obviously face-to-face -face learning, holograms, uh, etc. making learning fun, um, making uh, learning fun through gaming. All of these uh, concepts are, are being brought in. I also think we need to focus much more on hum proper human resource management, you know, and I say this time and time again, we, we as an industry are uh, living in the Neanderthal age when it comes to human resource management. We talk, we, we, we barely got personnel departments. We talk about crew management. We don't talk about crew human resource management. We have to make sure that our, our crew members, men and women, have a safe place, safe place to work on board. We have to ensure that they have proper career planning. We have to ensure that they have the benefits that we all have uh, and take for granted uh, ashore. Um, that they have proper leave, that they have proper pastoral care for their families, etc. Proper human resource management. If we get that right, then we will make this industry far more attractive. Then we need a proper PR message. We are so ruthlessly competitive with one another. There's not a single voice going out there, uh, be it BIMCO, be it uh, ICS, be it whatever it, it might be, extolling the virtues of this industry. You can be a lawyer, you can be a financier, you can be a crew person on board a vessel, a multitude of different vessels. You can be in IT, you can be in technology, you can be whatever you want to be in this maritime sector and who is getting that message out there. If my kids, 21 and 24, knew half of, well they do now because I bore them stupid, but if they knew half of what I do every day, course, they'd be queuing up to come into our industry. But there's no one, no single body out there selling this because we're cutthroat, ruthless, uh, competitive. Uh, and if we got over that, just on that single point, we'd attract many, many more people into this industry because it's a great industry. We all love it. Thank you, Mark. Impressing. Because uh, we are just uh, asked to treat them as would they be treated on shore. So, Lucius. Yeah, may I just add, I think um, in terms of the uh, bodies, uh, I think we should probably all look at our own uh, desk and our own willingness to 
tell these stories that you mentioned, Mark. Um, uh, and, and basically, I mean, we, when you just look at Germany and the, the need to attract talent to our industry, both locally and globally, I think one of the problems is not necessarily only the cutthroat competition, but the fact that a lot of uh, companies just simply um, are, are keeping the stories to themselves and not acting as uh, in other industries, trying to use um, various channels to talk about these, this adventurous uh, industry that we, we work in and that we love. Uh, a lot of people, you know, enter the industry, they, they are in there for three months and they're hooked and they stay on for the rest of their lives I think this is not too many industries where you have that um, you know it's, I think it's rare that people would actually leave the industry five six years in uh, because um, they just feel that so much to learn over the course of uh, of, of, of a career um, and I think there is there is a lot that we should probably uh, look at ourselves as well and have the courage to talk more to use the uh, the social media channels etc to to talk about shipping um, uh, and to attract uh, additional talent uh, and thereby support uh, let's say the combined PR message that large organizations can can uh, also uh, deliver um, on behalf of the maritime industry thank you very much Lucius so that was impressive. Anyone? Yes. Just make one addition. I, I fully agree that we need to be more outspoken on this and, and to make it more public. And, and I think that's that's an issue that we've been identifying for, for a long time, but not really managing. Um, but, but I think the key thing goes down to every shipping company to really treat their people on board as colleagues, just in another office, which is afloat. And, and I think that's the starting point where everyone can make a difference. And, and for example, in the Haran Group, we, we simply we see them and we talk to them and we, we treat them as colleagues. They're just not in the office and that's the only difference. Um, and I think that kind of, that way of treatment to make someone feel like part of something, that's, that's a starting point that's kind of very well um, perceived and that everybody, every shipping company can do easily. Thank you very much, Liz. And just to add, and they are not sitting in the office with a nice temperature, with a nice weather and everything. Lots of times. Better weather sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Germany, well, never mind. Exactly. One comment we should also not forget as an industry. Uh, we have definitely an issue with um, motivating and um, staying in touch with our seafarers, making sure we have the, the seafarers we need as an industry. We also have an issue on the land side to attract talent in our industry. And uh, that... Uh, is a growing problem as well. Um, as I see it, I think generally the generation that has uh, here in Germany, that has grown up with ships uh, is uh, aging and there are not the same number of people coming after that. Thank you. Thank you very maybe, much. I, maybe I add a few things to that, so I fully agree. Uh, I think this is one of my top topics on the list from the first question is HR. So and, um, I agree with human resources and managing them as, um, as people which are part of the company. It doesn't matter if they are onshore or if they are at sea. Um, we have to be more attractive, more visible to, um, uh, to younger people. Shipping is a bit difficult. I mean, if you want to go to sea, if you have an interest in going to sea and want to do this as a home office job, this is not going to work. 
So similar is also onshore, um, try to explain to someone working for a nautical technical department that um, maybe working home office four days a week is not the best of choices because you need to be on the ground to a certain extent. So this is what we have to haggle and um, maneuver in order to get younger people also attracted to the industry. But it is a huge challenge. I think it's in the next decade, uh, probably the single biggest challenge for us as an industry. Yeah. Thank you. This was uh, mentioned by Knut, one of the, the three challenges that he mentioned in the beginning that uh, it was the attraction of seafarers to the industry. Now we move on to the next question. And then we talk a lot, lot about collaboration these days. And I think that the maritime industry will not survive without a proper collaboration. We'll ask a question about a topic that has not been addressed totally here, that green corridor. Do you think that the green corridor can be a solution for Germany to get alternative fuels easier or to get some uh, possibilities? Lucius, would you like to take it? Yeah, I mean, whether for Germany or in general, um, I do think that it does make sense to look at uh, green corridors because, I mean, as uh, others on the panel have discussed earlier, I mean, it requires a lot of uh, funds and we will not have them available like the... Um, the green fuels, the alternative fuels globally at the same time and in order to structure a situation where people have some security in terms of their investment uh, activities, uh, I think it does make sense to um, define certain corridors uh, in which the entire value chain can be looked at and um, I mean this was discussed earlier on the investment panel as well that currently uh, there's uh, hesitation to um, decide on new bills. I mean, A, of course, because uh, prices are quite inflated or are high, but also because there is, uh, it's unclear whether um, the new technology, when it will actually be, uh, when, when it will be possible to use it, when, when the fuels will be available to, to, to burn methanol or ammonia. And if you define uh, green corridors between um, a number of uh, ports. Um, you also allow for development of the port infrastructure um, and you can then test uh, on the entire um, uh, trading route uh, and see whether it works. So I, I'm, I'm, I personally think that it makes a lot of sense um, to start with uh, such dedicated um, uh, green corridor approaches uh, rather than believing that the uh, problem can be solved uh, simultaneously, globally. Thank you, Lucius. Jan, any reflection on this? Jenna, mm. I agree with what Lucius is saying. I think everything which is in relation to carbon reduction, to um, more environmentally friendly uh, operations or um, Sustainable consumption doesn't matter what we do. Basically, every little bit counts um, for the future. So, if this is how I view green corridors to a certain extent, they could be part of the puzzle, basically, to, to fit uh, for for greener shipping. Um, question I'm having then: I'm I'm not an expert on green corridors, to be honest. I haven't spent uh, significant in, times on that in, in looking at it. Um, 
from my understanding at least, this is something which probably is rather to the benefit or easier to obtain for liner companies, traditional liner services at this point in time. So also to certain segments like the container business, for example, going from A to B, having certain trade routes which are fixed. So difficult if you look at bulk carriers or gas carriers, for example, um, if you have smaller um, gas carriers going um, uh, to different places, not typical um, uh, uh, sourcing um, as a floating pipeline, so then green corridors are not much of a use. The question is how do you implement this also for, for tramp owners, for example, especially with a, with a view from the German side. Um, is this something which is of significant importance going forward for the German tramp owners or not? So I don't see the link yet, to be honest, but maybe someone has to educate me on that. What do you think that uh, agreement between countries will give the proper support, support and framework and uh, necessary for develop this? Or? Of course it would help, but... Then again, I mean, if you do this between countries, I think rather you should kick off and do this probably between between continents rather than uh, between countries. Uh, so if we start again doing this on a micro basis between countries and countries, we all know, looking back in our own uh, German history just a few years, um, uh, negotiating a trade agreement with the US. So there were, um, not, not so many years ago in Berlin, there were half a million people going on the streets and uh, trying to... Uh, avoid a trade agreement with the US and today we are the ones claiming all the Americans with their um, um, Inflation Reduction Act they are all now doing Shelling so much money out into the industry. So finally the Americans are doing something for for um, uh, Carbon reduction and for green industries. They do it on a different way than we do. Yes, they don't do it via regulations They provide money to it. So we are complaining about it, but if we would have done the trade agreements a couple of years back with Sportschutz on the table, and we as Germans mainly said no, then we could participate in it. So if we start doing this on a country-by-country -country basis uh, on, on green corridors, I think we will end up nowhere. So this should be rather on a larger scale. Continents to continents is difficult already to get them, but or Europe to, to Americas, etc. Maybe possible, yeah. Thank you. But I think the good news is they're actually just building one. You can True. <laughs> Next door. That's <laughs> Moving forward, um, Germany has a very long history in shipping, and uh, lots of le learn lessons have been learned in the past. And what would be your takeaway moving forward that you can use the past experience and what you need to change? with the new challenge we, we have ahead of us. Jan, do you like to take it to start? Yeah, I, I do this very quick. Uh, don't fall for dumb money. So this is what I take away, what not to do, basically, um, from, from the past. Um, I think this is one of, the, one of the things which we all should learn from our German history, at least from a German perspective. It was way too easy to get money into, into shipping for a long period of time, for different aspects, so I'm not, there's no shaming or blaming on banks or owners or, or investors at one or the other, so it's, it's not of pointing fingers at anyone. But if it's too easy to get money into, into a certain system, um, doesn't matter if it's debt or equity, um, with nobody asking questions for the economical sense behind it, and this is maybe the gist out of it, um, 
money was deployed into shipping um, truckloads um, without anyone asking if this makes economical sense, so if there is a trade route behind it so, or whatever. So the only decision was because it's saving taxes, so uh, you could uh, get your tax losses uh, driven up in the beginning, then you have other tax decisions. So this is never a good decision to make an investment, not for a bank and not for an equity. So this is probably the one takeaway I would take not to do uh, going forward. So this is hopefully a lesson we've learned. Um, on top of that, I think is difficult not only for German shipping but um, with, the, with the history especially in the 80s and growing in the, in the container business I think it's difficult for, for Germany going forward for German shipping ship management going forward um, going for standard shipping segments and to compete with the, with the international um, competition on ship management um, I think you need to find um, segment which you can specialize on and where you have a, a unique selling point so let it be on the technical side or wh whatever it might be or on operational side um, just doing the standard um, shipping bulk containers etc for a German shipping entity ship management um, competing cost-wise with the um, other players out there, I think, is not going to happen going forward. So this was possible in the past, but um, I think the fierce or the competition is much fierce, much fiercer today. So this is going to be difficult. So um, at least for me and for us as an organisation, we have been focusing very clearly on certain segments with, a, with an additional technical expertise, um, uh, which we have in the company, which we have built up, and uh, building the skill sets and the expertise of the people at the end of the day. So this is the USP I can bring to the table and this is what I can then survive. So today you have dual fuel engines, you have all the other different technology developments, etc. So this is much easier to defend at the end of the day if you are part driver of, the, of such an industry or development. Um, what to keep from the past? Um, so this is very good. We, we had this topic on, on, on um, crews and um, um, staff um, just a minute ago. So I think this is one thing which I would view, um, at least with, with my glasses, that uh, German ship owners in general have done very well in the past. So um, keeping or training their crews, training also their, their people um, on shore, but especially on the, on the seafarer side, and keeping them close to their chest, also with soft skills, or trying to get them into a more familiar or family-like environment, and uh, getting them to feel as colleagues on board. So I think a lot of German ship owners have done in the past a very good job on that. So and this is definitely something which is um, something to keep. So without people, all business is nothing. And this is something which we should keep from the past. Thank you very much, Jan. Very good reflection. Kurt, do you have any comments? Yeah, first, I would disagree with Jan uh, in terms of ship management in Germany. <laughs> I mean, you need a bit of fire here on the panel, <laughs> if you agree. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and no, we, had, we do ship management in Netherlands, in Cyprus, and in Germany, and we always have been monitoring where to move, what's the best place, and we have just three years ago did a full study again on ourselves on... Singapore, Philippines, India, and so, and uh, on costs in terms of legal, legal safety, legal security, and uh, availability of personnel, and that's the key point. The superintendent more or less gets the same wage now around the world, the same net wage around the world. 
and, um, and taxation. And Germany is relatively high on the list because you get the people here, you get the good engineers, mostly from Eastern Europe nowadays, and most of the other back office functions which have been are too expensive in Germany, you're digitalizing. You have a higher level of digitalization than in other countries. So the overall cost level in Germany is not so bad, especially when you see that we have relatively good tax environment and, and legal reliability. Um, that's the first point. This other point, yeah, in terms of, uh, of what's the shipping place in Germany is taxation. Always, you know, we are competing in an industry where nobody pays taxes. Um, this seems to be as an illness in Greece and seems has, is anywhere in Asia as well. And so when the German government in the 1970s raised the asset tax, the new social democratic uh, government, when they have been in power first time in the new republic, they raised asset tax and then a capital gain tax and so on. In the end, you had to pay 2% on your equity every year, even if you made losses. And this caused a lot of ship owners to die. And those who survived, most of them have been the smarter ones who moved to Cyprus. That's why Cyprus took such a boom in shipping in the 1980s. And then the tonnage tax was introduced in 98 after pressure from the EU, or the EU saw the problem. The industry, we're losing the industry, introduced this guideline, it's only a guideline. First the Netherlands introduced it, then, then Germany followed. And the Germans then said, okay, that's okay. And the Ministry of Finance never liked it. You know, they're too far away from the coastline. They rather subsidize shipyards with hundreds of millions of euro than supporting a lively and healthy shipping, shipping industry. And so they started to raise taxes all around it. You know, insurance tax, income tax on the people, and capital gain tax on the cash that you have, even if you need it for OPEX and for bunkering and whatever. While the other countries in the EU have done the opposite. In Netherlands and Cyprus, they have a special scheme. If you come there as a high-qualified engineer, you get five to ten years tax rebate because they save with high-qualified workers in this country. And capital gain tax is what insurance tax, they never came to this idea. It is pretty stupid to raise it. So, and that's the risk in Germany that our government in Berlin is too far away and the Ministry of Finance is always trying to cut corners and that the industry might lose leave again for that reason. And nowadays it's very easy to leave in Europe, in the EU. That's my statement. Thank you very much. Impressive with the... So, news. Do you have, do you agree with the Jan or with the Kurt? No, or you're coming you back to the point of view. <laughs> I think our announcement uh, last week uh, speaks for itself. How does it look? <laughs> so, so um, no, we, we looked at it and we are, we are clearly pro um, the, the, the German market, but not only but also for its history because what the history tells us is nothing about the future but what it provides us is a, is a huge strong foundation of knowledge in all maritime fields maybe to a lesser extent going forward of seafarers but everybody else is here and and that's all what we need and so i think the the history there's gone lots of experiences good and bad but but i mean it's just a super strong foundation a lot of countries are very kind of jealous that we have that in that extent and at that depth. And, and I think that's, that's kind of what history brings with it and, and provides us as a foundation going forward. Um, Cost-wise, we're actually not unhappy. And I just came back this morning from Istanbul and Istanbul is a much more expensive place for superintendents. So we, we are happy to be here in Germany. Um, we're happy with the uh, overall, uh, as, as Kurt mentioned, with the, with the uh, legal environment. We're happy with the 
uh, with the cost levels. We are happy with the general predictability. We're happy with the uh, real estate rent prices compared to Singapore and other places. So it's, it's actually not a bad place. And when you look at some booming countries or areas, that, that are very kind of successful currently in attracting shipping, they have to attract all those basics that we already have. So I think if we are clever, we just build on that and don't look back on what went wrong in the past or what is not perfect or who did what when. I mean, let's, let's just use what we have and build on that. And I think we have all we need. And uh, the only thing that's probably missing from time to time is when you not start from scratch, you have that history and you also have the kind of negative parts of it. So we talked about digitization. Let's make sure that we have kind of a good view on what we are going to value the history, but let's also keep this greenfield approach when uh, thinking about processes and make them lean and make sure that they work and they, they work efficiently and cost efficiently. Fantastic. Thank you, News. Rovio, Mark. Uh, I, I would have one, uh, one comment, also uh, turning maybe back to, uh, to Jan uh, from the initial comments. Um, I, th I think uh, with regard to Germany, for sure it's also here true if, we, uh, if you have too much money moving too easily, we get overcapacity and so we get cycles in the industry we don't like. But on the other hand, what we see in Germany, uh, we just heard about it as a, as a place for ship management, for shipping. It's still not a bad place. We still have a good, uh, good environment for that. But shipping follows money. Uh, shipping is an investment-heavy industry. If uh, we are in Germany not able to bring money back also from the German market, uh, investing in shipping, uh, we have a certain problem to maintain our industry here. So while we shouldn't maybe but do you get see, do you too see much... An issue uh, do you see an issue there? Honestly, I, there's enough money available for the right projects, as usual. As always. As exactly. always. Exactly. So uh, this is the only thing I'm saying is don't go for the dumb money. And there was too much dumb money in the past. I think um, uh, what Germany has to do is get over the KG hangover. Yeah. Uh, and that's the dumb money. Uh, and the KG, the KG spree uh, encouraged a lot of poor standards within an otherwise very professional uh, professionally run industry um, but I think uh, what what is encouraging is that Germany sells it still sells uh, I think what we have to do is a, a a German community a shipping community is rediscover our mojo rediscover our hunger rediscover how to do things properly when you compare ourselves with our Greek colleagues or our Cypriot colleagues or anywhere else around the world, it, it's this chasing the client, it's this going the extra mile, it's not looking at uh, have I done my 40 hour working week and now can I go home, because shipping is not like that, um, shipping is, is, is much, much harder and it requires a, a different commitment than, uh, than the KG model inspired. Um, so I think we've got to get over that KG hangover. We've got to get back to basics, get back to what the Germans are, are, are good at, which is honesty, which is openness, which is transparency, which is technical competence, uh, which is finance, which is law, all of the good things that will make this uh, industry uh, strong again. And uh, I don't think, it, it, it's not a foregone conclusion that we've lost it, but we have to really fight to get it back. Fantastic. 
Any reflection? Lucius, do you have any? Yeah, maybe just one short comment. Um, I think the KG hangover, as Mark just put it, um, I mean, it's basically we lost a thousand uh, ships over the course of the last 10 years. Um, I think that's something that we also need to reflect on. And I don't see that this is going to turn around uh, anytime soon. There's probably going to be more um, uh, that we lose over the next, uh, I don't know, two, three years. Uh, and I think we need to, to look into what can cause the trends to uh, go in the opposite direction. And I think one aspect that um, has been kind of mentioned uh, by Lars earlier was that, um, uh, Jan Lars, uh, it was that I think the access to, to cargo, I mean, in the end, we finance ships uh, as an ends to a mean as a mean to an end, sorry. Uh, in the past, in the KG time, uh, there was just cheap money available and there was all sorts of SMEs uh, propping up that were delivering technical management, but in the end they chartered out to companies that were not based in Germany. Um, and I think when, when there's one thing that I would wish for the future, it's that we have more commercial um, activities. We're closer to the cargo going forward. We are not just focusing on the asset, because this is what Germany used to be, or that's what's been built up over the first 10 years um, of this century uh, due to cheap money available both on debt and, and equity side. Uh, but I think what we lack um, and what we need to work on harder is to get that uh, cargo uh, because that's what it's all about, right? We're moving cargo and yes, of course, it's in a national industry and uh, we can also fix with the Dutch, a Danish and Singaporean-based company. But uh, I think we need more direct uh, commercial activity in Germany and that would be a base to actually build up the fleet again as well. Thank you very much, Lucius. Could agree more. Yeah. So I think that we have 30 seconds. Yeah, I just wanted to ask Jan, you said the KG money is back. Is it, did you raise any equity for a KG project? Yes. Or is it possible? Yes, on a regular basis. And ticket size, it's again 20,000. No, no, I mean, retail, not talking about retail <laughs> or whatever. But of course, I mean, there's enough money in Germany. Yeah, so there is. It doesn't yeah, matter. I mean, the KG, it's, it's negatively implemented KG, but at the end of the day, it's just a legal entity, which yeah, is sure. KG. Yeah, so, yes, of course, you can still invest into shipping and do it as a private placement or club deals, etc. There's enough money in Germany still for, again, the right projects. The same on the debt side. Of course, you can source debt as well as equity also in Germany. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that I sparked in the discussion here. So, I'm, 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 I don't... I'm, I'm not... Um, uh, singing the, the, the deathbed or death song for the, for the German ship management. But I think it's going to be more difficult going forward than it used to be in the 80s or 90s because it was way too easy. So I think exactly what you all said, uh, we have to emphasize more, let it be on the, on, the, on the cargo level or let it be on the, on the customer level, on the charters, etc. understand more what we are there for. So that was probably sometimes too easy in the past and too easy for some people to step in, also for the, for the money to step in. So let's just be, remind us ourselves about the history, which will probably will not always went right, and learn from that for the future. Thank you very much. I think we just ran one minute out of time. We need to close the panel. I was really delighted to have this gentleman here in the panel. I would like to have a big applause for them. Thank you.